Cubs weekly podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Check. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. Tony Andrecki here with Andy Martinez and a pretty monumental day in Cubs franchise history. A lot for Cubs fans to be excited about because Dansby Swanson was introduced just across the street from where we are in the Marquee Studios. He was introduced. It was a fantastic press conference, I think, in a lot of different facets. To me, most of all, I just think Dansby Swanson himself was very impressive overall. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, that was the same thing. I thought he was very, he knew what he wanted to say. He knew what he was bringing to the Cubs. And the main thing that I took away, he was, he was bringing leadership and winning qualities yeah. to the team. He mentioned what he, he knows what a winning environment is like. He knows what he needs to provide to do that. And I thought that was just the biggest takeaway because as the Cubs sort of start to turn the corner and try to be more competitive, you need guys like that. You need guys that, yes, they can play well in the baseball field and can help you get hits and score runs and prevent runs. But you also need guys that have done it consistently at the highest level. And Dansby Swanson's done that at every level he's been at. Won a College World Series, won the World Series, won a gold glove. You want someone like that in your clubhouse that can elevate the, the level of everyone else inside inside your team. Yeah, and that's always so fascinating to see how that can be done in baseball. Mm -hmm. In football, it's easy, right? The quarterback can elevate others around him. Or the signal caller on defense or a pass rusher can have other, you know, there's other ripple effects of, like, great pass rush can get, you know, the secondary, put them in great position, whatever else. In baseball, it's a little more difficult to elevate the play of others around you. He can have a great feed to Nico Horner at second base, maybe, or a great throw over to Alfonso Rivas or whoever's playing first. Sure, that's one thing. He could help other pitchers, whatever. But how can he be a leader out there? And that was what I thought was so fascinating. And I actually asked him, like, how can you provide your leadership skills here and how can you elevate those around him? And he basically just talked about thinking of winning as a mindset every day. You try to win, and that might seem obvious, and it might seem like something that that anybody says or anybody thinks and every team does. But he said you'd be surprised how often that isn't the case. Yeah. So thinking about winning, not worrying about your stats or an RBI, but and not worrying if you're going to go out and strike out six guys. It's just, am I going to be a winning pitcher today? Am I going to go up with an at-bat and be a winning guy today? And I think that's a great mindset. It's the type of mindset that David Ross has talked about and tried to instill since he's been here. And I just think that's fascinating to bring up. And to be honest, so much of the leadership stuff is – it's, it's so hard to quantify, right? Yeah. Like, that's why it's intangible. You, you can't quantify it. We don't know specifically. We see some of it, but we're not there 90% of the time in the clubhouse and stuff. So we only know a little bit. But it also, you can see when a guy is fake, even from our perspective. Yeah. I didn't see any fakeness at no. all. There wasn't, like, it seemed very real. And he seems very sure of himself. He seems sure of who he is as a leader. And he also seems to understand that, like, He's been brought in to be this. He's the future of the Cubs, but he's not just going to take it overnight. Like no. He's a little bit more quiet, a little bit more lead by example, I think. That's kind of the impression I've got, but also a guy who will certainly be vocal if the need be. Yeah, and I thought it was Im- impressive when he was asked the nickname that he had, which is the yeah. Sheriff, and he's like, that's not who I am. Like, the kids gave me that name, and I'm not a guy who's going to come up and say, hey, you know, you did something bad, you're going to quote-unquote jail. Like. That's not who he is. The, the nickname almost doesn't fit in that sense. And I think that's what's so impressive about the leadership. That the quote where he said, I've had games where I've gone four for four and we lost and I'm, I'm really mad. That's not every player. Some players would be like, oh, I went four for four. Like, yeah. look at, like good, good for me. Like, oh, we lost six to nothing, whatever. He is very much, I think he would rather go 0 for five and they win two to one than necessarily go for four for four and lose, lose multiple games that, that fashion. He's about winning. He's about doing what's necessary to win. And I think that's very contagious for the rest of the team where if you're seeing, hey, 
this guy's putting this guy just went over four three days in a row but he played really good defense and he went out there every single day and put in all his work and effort I need to do the same because that's going to help us I think that's really really contagious throughout the roster you know who you reminded me a ton of too who? Nico Horner yeah I mean very it, much so he talked more about himself like Nico never talks about himself no. and I, not to that's not denigrating Dansby at all he was asked about himself but like he reminded me a ton of that for all the reasons you yeah. just brought up because Nico is exactly that guy, and yep. he is he is that guy. Like yeah. he says he, that he cares more about the team winning than if he goes four for four. But like he is, it's not just talk. I, yeah, and it seems very very similar to Dave. Yeah, Smith. I was gonna say I remember vividly. Nico Horner had a game where I believe the Cubs lost, and he had like four or five just incredible plays that he made. He snatched one out of the air. I remember everyone swarmed to his locker after the game, and he was like, "Yeah, like." That was that was a nice play, but we lost. Like he yeah. did not care that he made all these highlight real web gems. He was more focused on the fact that they had lost. And this is in the second half when you know that the playoffs aren't gonna happen. To for him to still have that competitive instinct, I thought was very impressive from Nico Horner. Yeah, and I think too, just like how Dansby Swanson carries himself beyond the leadership aspect, beyond yep. the winning, that he wants to be out there every day. Like yeah. he was already joking that he's probably going to have some tough conversations with David Ross about he wants to be out there all 162. And he was even joking with us in the media saying, like, you guys show up to work every day, right? And if you don't, I'll give you a hard time about it. But, like, I expect to show up to work every day and play. I think there's something very powerful in that. Mm -hmm. He learned from Freddie Freeman, right? There was always a paramount of Freddie Freeman is he always wanted to be there every day. That's how Dansby learned in Atlanta. It's the same thing you can carry here. Sure, injuries, other things can happen. Like maybe it doesn't make the most sense to play 162, but to want to be out there and to truly fight to want to be out there is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. And then just the fact that like he already understands that he needs to get better and develop a rapport with Nico up the middle. So he's already giving Ross feedback. He's he's been back. Dansby's been back in in the U.S. for 48 hours. He said before this press conference after his honeymoon. He's so in that time, you know, he's been talking to Ross. And he's been saying, like, I want to play every day. And he's been having conversations already and saying, I want, I'm already asking David Ross to put me and Nico in, this, in the lineup on the same day so we can get that cohesive down, cohesiveness yeah. down in the middle infield. Shortstop, second base, turns, figuring things out with no shift. Are they range up the middle at the same time? Like I think of what, what movie was that uh, where the two brothers were playing? Major League Three, I think, back to the minors. Yes, the two they, brothers yep, always mm-hmm. collided. Yep. I, I can see those two guys doing that because they have some of the best range of any middle infielders. Yeah. But just developing that rapport in spring before it matters. And for Dansby to be thinking about this on December 21st or whatever day it is now, be thinking about that already and looking forward to March 30th and beyond, that, again, is another pillar of a guy who's, who's team first and leader oriented. Yeah, that's definitely what he is. And I think that's so impressive. That's what you want. He mentioned that he has started or he's already started calling guys, gone down the list of the roster, calling guys to introduce himself. To, that's who he is. And he mentioned... When he's when he was in Atlanta and they would get a new player, he was the first guy to reach out to them and welcome to the to the team. That's who he is. That's who he's gonna be. And that's something that's very valuable because they don't have that anymore. Though I will say that one thing that was one thing that Jason Hayward had that he would always do. That's a big presence you lost. Just something someone's new on the team and they don't know anyone. There is something real to that, right? Like it's no different than you or I if we went yeah. somewhere new and we didn't know anyone. There's a little uneasiness. There's a little nervousness that you you're just going into something new without any knowledge and without any familiarity. To have someone reach out and say, "Hey, welcome aboard. This is how we do things. This is what we're gonna do." I think that's huge for for any clubhouse. Yeah, and I think too, he Dansby Swanson was able to fall back on a lot of the players that he had played with. He has a relationship with Jason Hayward. He asked mm-hmm. him about what it's like to play in Chicago. Yep. And you know, one of the guys he heard from was was John Lester as well. So like to be able to 
to hear from those guys. In addition to um, you know Carter Hawkins, Jed Hoyer, David Ross, and all that kind of stuff to hear what it's like to play in Chicago. And he said too, one thing that stood out to me was that he always knew that Chicago was a destination city when he was in, in uh, Atlanta as a road trip because all the players' wives would come yep. on. And he's like, you always know because all the wives would come on this trip. Yeah. So th- that is true, and he has this appreciation for it. But I think too, we saw we saw a human side very early on yeah. in this in this press conference of Dansby Swanson. He talked about how what it meant to him to be a Cub not just to sign this deal and, you know, making life-changing money and all of that, but because his grandpa was a Cubs fan. He, he grew up in the Atlanta area. His grandpa's house was, you know, yard yards backed up to his parents' house. And he would go over there every day, and the Cubs would be on WGN. So he was watching the Cubs mm-hmm. all the time. So it was this really emotional, powerful story. And uh, let's actually listen to Dansby tell it right here. So I, I've pretty much mentioned to everyone, like, being a Cub means more to me than people would realize. Um it's no secret that I left my hometown team uh, to be here. And I've kept telling everyone that it's more personal to me. So Mallory and I got married December 10th. The next morning we found out that my grandfather um, was not doing so well, um, that he was in hospice. And so we pretty much left our wedding venue the next morning, uh, drove home, and basically had to rush over to the senior living facility where he was at. And uh, we were, gosh dang it. So he ended up uh, passing away on the day after we got married. And the one thing that just always stood out was he lived across the yard from my parents and I and my brother and sister. And so every day when I would come home from school, I would run up to his house I'd run in and pretty much like demand that he come outside and hit me ground balls, which he would always do. But every time I walked in, he would have a Cubs game on um, back when it was on WGN. And I can't look at my parents. Um, He would have a Cubs game on, and I was always like, Pops, we're in Atlanta, dude. Like, we're Braves fans. And... It was just something he loved baseball so much, and all he ever wanted me to be was doing what I'm doing now. So having won a championship in Atlanta for one of his favorite teams, we just felt that the Cubs, which were his second favorite team, that bringing a championship to this city was just what we have felt called to do. So to be able to play for two of my grandfather's two favorite teams um, – means literally like the world to me so thank you and i'm glad i got through that without crying so thank you it was a very emotional story from dansby swanson another thing he mentioned you know he his grandpa was a braves fan yeah but he was also a cubs fan just because he would watch it you grew an affinity to chicago you felt like you knew the team the players in the city even though you they weren't your hometown team they were thousands of miles away he built an affinity to the Cubs where it was his second favorite team. And he mentioned, you know, he wants to win the ability to potentially win a championship with the Cubs like he did with his hometown team is super special to him. Yeah, it is for sure. And, and I mean, I think it's just it's cool to hear those personal connections because yeah. it means a lot to him. And, yeah. and he, he was saying that he told his wife, Mallory Pugh, as well, that Chicago Red Stars star, by the way, yep. um, who when they walked on to Wrigley Field before the press conference on Wednesday morning that – he looked out and he told his wife, this is where I was meant to be. Mm-hmm. So there was a little bit of serendipitous 
uh, serendipity behind it all. Yep. So definitely like the personal connection, but I think the connection to Vanderbilt with Carter Hawkins yeah. helped as well. And, and like we already talked a little bit about John Lester, maybe had a bit of a pitch, yeah. helped the Cubs recruit, but you got to hear a little bit more about just how like how Carter helped uh, convince Dansby to come here and how their Vanderbilt connection, both guys went there, played there, how that was able to, uh, how that really benefited the Cubs here. Yeah, he mentioned, Dansby mentioned that he had a phone call with Carter. It was a long phone call and he kind of started getting, warming up more and more. That This was early on in his free agency, he's warming up more and more to the idea of being a Cub because of Carter. And when I asked him about that conversation, he said, well, he's a Vanderbilt guy. Carter Hawkins played, I think he was a backup catcher at Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. He played with Dansby Swanson's brother. They had the same coach at Vanderbilt. So there was a lot of familiarity there. And Dansby knew he could call Carter and say, hey, we're not sugarcoating anything. I need you to tell me everything, how we're going to be a winner, how you're going to do about building a winning culture and a winning environment. And Carter was up front with him. And Dansby said, it's because we're Vanderbilt guys. And he knew that the coach, the Vanderbilt coach, would not let him get away with lying. And it's pretty easy in free agency, right, if you're making a pitch and say, oh, everything's great and dandy when you – you can look at the standings or you can look at the prospect rankings, whatever you want to see, and you, you, they can tell a different story. Carter Hawkins was very upfront with him, and that sold Dansby Swanson on the idea of becoming a Cub. And that was just a really, really cool connection. You mentioned the John Lester one was really special, too. Yeah. He There was a video that the Cubs presented to Dansby Swanson when he was going through the free agency process. It was a pitch from John Lester that said, very similar situation that he was in. John Lester came up with the Red Sox, spent all his time with the Red Sox. He's a free agent, and he thought it was the hardest decision in his life to go to the Chicago Cubs. He looks back on it, and he says it's the easiest decision that he's ever had, that he's ever made. Dansby Swanson is in a very similar boat, came up with the Braves, only knew the Braves. He's leaving the Braves, and it's a really hard decision, and now he's coming to the Cubs. He mentioned that they're roughly in the same spot that they were when Lester signed. Yeah. And he just thought that that kind of put him at ease. And he said he can't wait to reach out to John Lester to tell him how important that was and, and to just connect with him. Yeah, it is pretty incredible. I mean, we had heard during the winter meetings how John Lester is kind of part of the pitch to even like Xander Bogarts because yeah. they played together mm -hmm. in Boston. Bogarts obviously signed in San Diego, but like Lester's still here a yeah. couple years after playing for the Cubs, still helping the Cubs out. So uh, kind of a Cub for life, I'd say. Yeah. He, he already was going to be for yeah. sure, but definitely now. And, and obviously that connection with David Ross, I think, is very powerful and helps as well. But I thought that Carter conversation was fascinating. Yeah. And so I actually got caught up with Carter Hawkins as well after the press conference and just asked him, like, hey, from your perspective, what was that convo like with Dane's response? How did you kind of sell him? What did you say to him here? So let's take a listen to Carter. Yeah, I mean, really, you know, kind of what Dansby talked about, just sharing our vision, you know, sharing the reality of our current situation and the reality of the things that we're doing to get to where our vision is. And, um, you know, that's a long, long conversation. It's about the players. It's about our process. It's about our people. It's about our culture. It's about our resources and walking through all of those things come together to, to continue to get a better baseball team year over year. And, um, you know, I talked to him about, hey, look, like we can't guarantee any outcomes, but what I can guarantee is that, you know, you're going to be proud to be a Cub and um, you're going to be proud to be a Cub for a long, long time. And, you know, I think because of our relationship and, you know, our, kind of our mutual relationships, um, it was just an easy, uh, truthful combo that, you know, hopefully went a long way. I remember when we talked to you at winter meetings, you were kind of saying it, there's really no selling the Cubs just given like the product you guys have, Wrigley Field, the fan base, all of that. But in terms of, like you said, from your conversation to Tansby or the other free agents, like how do you position that? Do you let it tell it? 
tell the story itself or what do you guys say about what Wrigley and the fan base and what the city can bring to people? Yeah, I mean, these guys are smart. Like, and they're going through this process. You know, Dance, we talked about it. You know, he's talking to, you know, 10, 15, 20 teams and they're all talking about winning. And, you know, I think guys sniff out, you know, when you're when you're overselling things or underselling things, you know, they just want the truth. And the truth of the Chicago Cubs franchise is a pretty great truth, and it's a pretty attractive one. You know, you talked about the fans, you talked about the city, you talked about the the stadium. Like, that definitely speaks for itself. You know, people come here and go, oh, my gosh, this is a great place to play. Like, we don't have to oversell that. We can present that. We can talk about that, but we don't have to oversell it. And then, you know, the vision of of our team and the rosters that we're continuing to build, it's just, hey, what's that process behind that? We can't say who we're going to sign three years from now. We don't know who we're going to sign next year. But we can talk about the process that we go through to make those decisions. And I think that's something that resonated with him. As you talk about the process, too, obviously Dansby was a guy that you guys had liked and, and had targeted. What about him makes you guys feel so confident that he is a, a big part of winning moving forward and, and how he can be a leader or just help bring winning to the north side? Yeah, you think about the guys that we have here organizationally that are just you know, such a big part of, of who we are and, and will be such a big part. Um, you know, Certainly, uh, you know, I think Dansby's defensive ability, his leadership ability, and his offensive ability like all come together and we'll match up with guys like Happer and guys like Nico and you know really excited about that path going forward. Get your Wintrust exclusive debit card, get your Cubs card. Ooh, I'll take one, how much? Actually, they pay you $300. You heard right, get a $300 bonus when you open a Cubs checking account with Wintrust. Enjoy all perks and purchase with pride every time with your Wintrust Cubs debit card. $300? What? I'll take a card. Get your exclusive card at wintrust.com slash cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. All right, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Tony Andraki joined by Andy Martinez. And we did get a chance to catch up with Carter Hawkins, but I also had a chance to catch up with Jed Hoyer and just ask him a little bit about why Dansby Swanson, what was it about this player that they liked, but also like how did the Cubs get from where they are now to becoming a winning program? So let's take a listen to what Jed had to say, too. So, Jed, obviously you guys just introduced Dansby Swanson here. Can you explain a little bit about what this move means for the Cubs and just how monumental a day like this is for the team? Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked over and over about, like, you know, having the resource to add really good players. I think we added, you know, Strowman's and Suzuki last year. I think, you know, adding Bellinger and Italian this year. And then, obviously, a player like Dansby, who's just won at every level, um, he was one of the best defensive shortstops in the game. He continues to get better offensively. You know, I just think he's a tremendous um, you know, block to build around. You guys have said that before, that he is a, a block to build around. What about it? Stood, what about him stood out to you guys about this is the guy you guys want to invest in at shortstop and be a part of your core moving forward? Yeah, I mean, clearly, you, know, you watch him play. He's, he's such a gifted shortstop with his hands, his arms, his feet. Um, I think he's going to play there for a long time. Also, his leadership ability. Um, he's a great base runner. I think the thing that stood out to us as we did a lot of research on him is everyone says the same thing, which is this guy's just a really good baseball player. His instincts are great. He knows how to win. And uh, that's the kind of player we're looking at here. And then obviously folding him into everything, how do you guys get to the point now with Dansby and Bellinger and Tyon and all these other moves, how do you get to the point where you guys are winning again? And, and this is obviously just the start of that, but what's next to come either move-wise for the team or incorporating these guys in to get the team to the next level? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you know, this is a seven-year commitment. Um, part of what we were talking to Dansby about is like, how do we build all these pieces together? Farm system, free agency, trades, you know, uh, 
creating a winning team isn't just based on free agency. It's about, you know, how can we build this together? And I think things are starting to come together really well with the guys we've added. And then you bring that together with our farm system. I think that we're kind of on that edge where I think that once once the, the farm system starts really churning out talent, uh, I think it should be a really exciting year. And hopefully we can build something really special. All right, Andy. So we just heard Jed Hoyer talk a little bit about what comes next for the Cubs. In your perspective, what does come next for the Cubs? How do they get from where they are now on December 21st to spring training or opening day and being a winning team, like contending in 2023 for the division or beyond? I think it starts with adding some left-handed bats. Jed Hoyer, after the Dansby Swanson press conference, talked a little bit about what comes next, and he did mention there's a little, we want a little bit more balance. Let's leaning a little right-handed heavy. And then there's probably got to be some improvements at first base and, and, and catcher and, and relief in, in, the, in the bullpen. There's a lot of kind of still, I don't want to say major holes because I don't think any of them are sure. anything that needs attention right now or that they can't get away with for, for a few few weeks or months in the season. But they definitely need to improve those areas if they want to take that next step and, and be pushing the, the Brewers and Cardinals in the division. Yeah, and, and I think first base for me, we talked about it in the last podcast, but first base slash DH is something I'm still keeping yeah. an eye on because – to me, I just see almost like a gaping hole in the sense, like you said, they can fill it, obviously. Yeah. Fonzo Rivas, Patrick Wisdom, P.J. Higgins are guys there. We know Matt Mervis is coming at some point. I think we all understand that he'll be there in 2023. But is that March 30th on right. opening day? The Cubs would prefer it not. Yeah. I think he would really have to come out and absolutely rake in spring training for that to be a reality. So I think the Cubs need a stopgap type option. Yeah. There are veterans out there. There are other options. Also, the fact that if you move Patrick Wisdom and he's playing first, is it Morell? Is it McKinstry? Is it Miles Mastroboni? Like, who's playing third then? Mm-hmm. So I do think there are some questions. There are obviously guys on the roster to fill and figure it out, but I'm with it, too. I think left-handed bats. I think Bellinger's a great start. Obviously, Ian Happ's still here. Um, you know, catching depth and, and stuff, we'll see. But to me, I think just seeing how these guys um, – just become part of a team and, yeah. and and if Dansby takes on this leadership role because he's here for, he's he and Nico are the future right and yep. Inhat might be part of the future but as of right now he has one year left so whose team is it is it Dansby Swanson's team right now which I think the money shows us that it is how do they get to that point and like it, does he have to get Ian Happ and, and Nico Horner on board? How do they all get on the same page? Which I don't anticipate any issues on. Yeah. I know they've already talked and stuff a bit. And then how do they get all together and become this, like, because chemistry matters. It right. matters to them in the clubhouse. That's what they need to figure out in spring training, yep. I think. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and, and Dansby talked about it, that he feels like some of the best teams are the ones that hang out with the, with each other after the, the, yeah. the game. and. Building that environment, I think, is going to be crucial in February and March in, in Arizona and building that relationship and building that rapport and even now in the offseason. I think when they're, if they're able to do that and when they're able to do that, I think that's going to just have a little trickle-down effect where it's going to lead to good things for the Cubs. Yeah, and, and February 25th is the Cubs' first spring training game. I don't know for sure if Danzy Swanson is going to be out there looking like possibly, yeah. uh, but when he does, he will be wearing uniform number seven, and he actually caught up with Elise Meneker and Ryan Sweeney here in our Marquee Sports Network studios about why the number seven and a little bit more just uh, overall uh, discussion with Elise and Ryan. Welcome into our Marquee Sports Network studios. It's great to see you. Great to have you here. This is fresh off your Prince conference, and now we get to chat with you and get to know you a little bit more. First, we were talking about a little this off camera, but the seven-year, $177 million deal, your number seven. I learned you were number seven at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Describe just the significance of number seven to you. Uh, it's funny. I never wore seven. Like, never was, like, a huge seven guy before mm-hmm. I got to Vanderbilt. Uh, Coach Corbin 
uh, pretty much gave me that number and that became my number and then just kind of like became a part of my baseball journey in life and then ever since then I just seven just like fits me I, I, I don't know like can't even explain why it just fits me and uh, you know we're obviously big into our faith uh, in our house and seven being like you know a whole number complete number um, so it's a it's a pretty good number. I uh, I like it. I already I talked to Jan. It was so I talked to Jan. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. two weeks ago, before he even he was like, "Hey man, uh, this is Jan Gomes," uh, and I, I was like, "Are you pitching me on the Cubs?" And he was like, <laughs> "He's like, wait, we're like in on you, you know?" Like and I, <laughs> he didn't even know. He didn't even know. So we were just. Like, he, he, I was sending. I was. I'm gonna send a jersey of mine to uh, this kid that he wants me to send one to, and so. He wasn't even talking about the Cubs thing, and I was like, "He's like, you, but you know what? Like, I'll give you number seven. Like, yeah, you know, I pick That's my numbers awesome. wisely." So, well, I was just gonna ask yeah. if you had to give him a watch or something <laughs> coming into spring Let me training. Play, I, he he doesn't want anything. Okay, but I will up. like <laughs> I will coming. be yeah getting him something. Nice. I, I don't know That's what awesome. that is yet. I'm gonna wait till I get to know him and kind of make it you know personal. I like that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise good. us at all about Jan Gomes and who you get to know. Um, also, as we get to know you, it was through the free agent process that you got to know the Cubs as well as one of the big names for shortstops on the market. Just describe what the process was like and going through it. Uh, it was unique, for sure. Uh, I can't say I was, like, the biggest fan of it just because, like, you work your whole career for something, right? And then you get there and it's like, whoa, like, yeah. I don't know if I like not having structure. I don't know if I like, like, this, like, lack of clarity of, like, where I'm going to be, where I'm supposed to be. Uh, but, you know, we kind of, like, prayed our way through it and, and really felt led to being into Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, you know it's a it's pretty much a dream come true. Like I think everybody at some point wants to play for the Cubs. Right. Uh, you know everyone kind of heard my story about my grandfather and just like the personal ties. Rookie of the Year was my favorite movie. You know favorite <laughs> baseball movie growing up. So uh, being able to wear this uniform means a lot more to me than probably anyone could could have ever guessed. Nice. Well. Elise and I like to talk about hitting a Thank lot. And Bring it on. Kind of, <laughs> kind of going back, this isn't necessarily like your philosophy or how you get into it, but, you know, the last couple of years, uh, 52 homers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you said you wanted to work a little bit more hitting for average. Um, what are some of the things like on defensive side and the offensive side that you're working on this next year or this offseason to get even better? Uh, so I think – Defensively is, is, is to me, is a lot about just working the fundamentals like over and over and over again. Obviously, everyone knows Ron Washington is, uh, you know, like kind of like the defensive yeah. wizard, um, you know, just doing a lot of different short hop things, a lot of completing uh, plays. Uh, I feel like defensively, it's, it's a lot about like, you know, in this game in general, as you know, is, is the mental part, right? And like mm-hmm. being engaged and locked in. Um, you have to make the routine plays routinely. Like, yes. that's that's how you become a good defender. Uh, you know, guys at the big league level can make splashy plays. Like, mm-hmm. we're all talented and gifted. But being able to make the plays that you should make every time is where, you know, the money is made. Yeah. And uh, that's what makes teams better. When you mm-hmm. don't give teams extra outs, you win more games. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, putting that at the, at the focus and just continuing to grow in that part. Um, you know, I, I started a little bit last year, and I want to get better at it, too, is just – doing even more homework and research on opposing hitters and knowing their tendencies. You yeah. know, it, you know, so many times, like, I had, of course, I had the master sheet in the card of saying, oh, play here, you know, this is the shift, this yeah. is not. But really doing my own research of, like, this is where he tends to hit it more in this spot, you know, and being mm-hmm. able to, uh, you know, increase your range that way. And then with the new rule changes, then especially that's with the new too. rule change, like, that's a it's going to be a huge thing. Um, obviously, Nico is 
fantastic defensively. Yeah. I mean, he's a fantastic player in general. I've always been a fan of his. I've always kind of said, like, man, that guy can hit. Like, mm -hmm. he just finds a way to get the barrel to the ball, uh, drives a lot of balls in the gap and stuff like that, and obviously he's a great defender. Um, and then offensively, uh, you know, it's a lot about swing and miss end zone, right? Like, I feel like that's yeah. where the strikeouts come from. It's not necessarily poor decisions because chase rates and, and end zone swing rates are, like, good. Yeah. It's just when you get your pitch, you can't miss it, right? Exactly. And, you know, you can't foul it off. You can't swing and miss at it. And that's really the biggest thing for me is, like, you know, if we're, if we're able to take these pitches um, that we're fouling off and we're able to, you know, find barrel a little bit more often, like, Good things are ahead. So. Yeah, and that's what leading into my next question was going to be. You know, do you are you a video guy? Do you like? I know you said you need to look at what different pitchers are going to do, but as far as like you, you know, we had Bellinger on yesterday talking about how I use the tool, but I don't like to get too in depth with it, and that's kind of how I was because I didn't want to overthink things. And like you said. The strikeouts isn't necessarily that, look, none of us want to strike out, right. right? I'm swinging at balls in the zone, but hey, your power numbers are up, um, you're working on that, uh, that average, and you're working on that being that complete player. So do you like um, using that video tool? I think if you use it right, the yeah. videos, videos is vital. What does that mean game. for you then, using it right? When you're going good, watch video. Yes. When you're going <laughs> yes. good, watch video. You like you want to reinforce the good things when yeah. you're going bad. Let someone else watch the video yep. um, and, 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 and find some people that you can trust to be able to watch that, break it down, have the conversations you need to have and just go do it. Uh, I'm actually a big, like, I love hitting left-handed before games. Um, okay. To focus love, on mechanics? No, like I just, to really hone I just in like to just, like, it's Get like, out of your own dome. Yeah, it's, oh, like, oh, okay. it's, like, it's kind of like wiffle ball, right? Yeah. And, I, and every time I hit, I'm like, man, I wish my right-handed swing was as good. <laughs> my left-handed <laughs> swing, like, I wish I would just go and, and just play the way I do left-handed in the yep. cage. Um, just kind of like I said, it just kind of puts you in that like kid mode, wiffle ball mode. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just going to go up here. I love that. I'm just like free and easy, let my athleticism do its thing. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something I've, I've definitely done over the last couple years more. You were hitting on it with Ryan, and I want to kind of revisit it with that playing every day. And you always have said, whether it's like before a game or in your press conference, you were saying to get to know the Cubs. You did your homework. I did my homework. I did my research. When you have to play 162, what does it take? You said surround yourself with the right people. Mm -hmm. What have you learned over the years to actually play 162 to make the routine plays at the end of the year when you could still be gassed? I mean, it's not routine at that point or it's easy anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the mental part. That's the separating factor for almost every big league player. I mean, mm -hmm. you know this, that the, the separating factor is an ability. It's always the mental part. So it's about being consistent. Um, and, you know, I've, I've done a lot of – taken a lot of strides uh, in the right direction in terms of, like, mm -hmm. mental performance. You know, I feel like every year I've, like, added a new person to my circle. It started with massage therapist, then it went to – I have a mental skills trainer that I use a lot. Uh, then it was an actual trainer, then nu nutrition. Like, just really surround yourself with the right people that are going to help you get through a full – you know, not even a 162, but I like to call it a mm -hmm. 182, right? Sure. Like you want Yeah, for sure. You know, over the last – couple of years just, you know, with the, the length of the postseason and, and what we were able to accomplish, you know, in Atlanta, it was like, you know, played over 200 games, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, that's just wild to think about. Um, but you don't stop till the journey's over. Yeah. And well, I think that's an underrated number too, right? You look at guys that, hey, maybe I played 100 games, they hit, yeah, they hit 30 homers, but they maybe only played 100 games. So I kind of want to go to your mindset and your mentality. I love how you have that winning um, mindset bringing that over here with the Cubs. Is that something that came, you know, from your parents or just growing up? That's just how you were. I think, 
you know, I'm sure you have and I have played with a lot of dudes that say like, hey, yeah, I want to win, but they don't actually go mm-hmm. out there and do that. Like they're still out there for number one, putting up their numbers. You know, it seems like you truly, genuinely, like you're going to be, like you said, not on these guys, but holding people accountable for what they're doing in the game and like, hey, let's, uh, let's grind this thing out. It's funny, like everyone wants to win, right? Yeah. Like everyone loves to win. But are you, like, actually willing to win? Yeah. You know, and that's a completely different thing is being willing to win and just wanting to win. Um, it's, it's something – I've always been competitive, right? Like, I'm not happy that my Uno game on my honeymoon was, we not, saw. That, we showed was it. not up to par. And it – trust me, on the plane back, too, like, I got crushed in yeah. Uno again. It's not something I'm proud of. And our, our household is like that. Like, you know, we competed everything. But growing up, I was uh, the youngest of three. I had a, have an older brother, older sister. So I was, like, always, you know, like, getting beat essentially at everything. And it just, like, really created this, like, winning. I just want to win at everything I do. There was, a, like, I'm a big Duke basketball fan. So whenever they would lose as a kid, like, I was crying. You know, it was, like, be some, like, <laughs> no-name game they'd lose and I'd cry. You know, so, like, winning has just been something I, like, always – always loved and wanted to be a part of and you know it's it's something I don't like I don't take for granted because you can't take winning for mm-hmm. granted uh but in something to, that you strive for every day and you mentioned your wife Mallory and the mm-hmm. Uno games that you played oh on your honeymoon you just got married congratulations thank you thank you uh just describe what it's like now to be in the city with her she's a Chicago Red Star so here you guys are playing in the same city and I would have to think is this like the best couple weeks of your life right it, here? It, it means it does mean the world to us just because over the last you know four years we've um you know, we've, we've been doing like a long distance thing. You know, she was in D.C., I was in Atlanta. She was in Jersey, I was in Atlanta. She was in Chicago, and I was in Atlanta. And then, you know, we just really felt that God was leading us to not only be together in marriage, but to be able to be together in the same city. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's contrary to popular belief, like she was not on my case about coming to Chicago. She wanted me to be where I felt like led That's to good. be. And it just so happened that, you know, God does, does things for a reason. And, yep. you know, we're here. All right, we're going to close out the Cubs Weekly Podcast, Andy, by uh, talking about the other press conferences that were this <laughs> week. So, Dansby Swanson got all the headlines. Yep. We also just heard from him. But Cody Bellinger talked on Tuesday, and Jamison Tyone talked on Monday. So, a lot of press conferences, the yep. week of press conferences leading into the Christmas and, and holiday season here. Uh, so, crazy. Yeah. It, it was really kind of a whirlwind. It, um so long in between winter meetings, not so long, but it felt like a long time in between winter meetings and when these moves came official. But what stood out to you between the Tyon and Cody Bellinger press conferences and our first opportunity to talk to them as Chicago Cubs? I think my biggest takeaway from Tyon was just how aggressive the Cubs were in pursuit of him. Clearly, he was their number one target. They chatted with him almost immediately. They, they went out to New York. Tyon mentioned they were the only team that came out and met him in New York to speak with him. Craig Breslow was out there. They had planned to meet for half an hour to talk pitching. It turned into a two-hour conversation. Yeah. They just hit it off right away, and as Tyon said, they were nerding out about pitching and pitch sequencing and pitch grips and all these different things. That If you're into that kind of thing, you probably wish you were fly on the wall. It was a really good conversation that set the, 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 the base level for what was to come in the relationship building. It was, a, it was a perfect fit for both sides. Tyone immediately started working with, after this deal became official, started working with Tommy Hadovy, the rest of the pitching staff, the, the R&D team to help build a throwing program that will put him on a path to be successful. And that's what he's, that's what it just, he was as big as his takeaway with the Cubs, just the ability to form a relationship and to become a, a, a big piece for the, for the Chicago Cubs moving forward in their rotation. Yeah, I thought that was 
I love the the story just about like him and, and Craig Breslow. And you had a great piece on Marquee Sports Network just about how the Cubs sold Jamison Tyon on Wrigley Field. Yeah. And by the way, like we we've talked a little bit about it. Like um, you, they had to sell too much. Like they yeah. understand the power of what Wrigley Field is, what this fan base is. So all of you guys listening, good job because you helped yeah. Jamison Tyon, Cody Bellinger, yep. and Dansby Swanson come here. Um, but I think what stood out to me most about the Bellinger thing, for one, is the change of scenery and how powerful that can be. Yeah. Him coming here, he has a one-year deal, so he can absolutely like reset and get his market back to where he thinks he could be. He was obviously Rookie of the Year, MVP, World Series winner. Like All three guys that well, we're talking about. He was on an elite trajectory early on in his career. Like Hall of Fame level. Yeah. 111 homers in his first three seasons. Like Very, very few guys had that. I think what it was five total had anywhere close to yeah. that. So, yeah, incredible player. I don't think we're necessarily expecting 35 to 40 homers from him, but if you can get 25 to 30 homers, if you can recoup some of that value, and then we know what the upside is. So it is possible, but anywhere in the middle, you know, from what the last couple of years have been to what his, his ceiling is, I think that's fantastic. There's certainly a, a power, power that comes in, the fact that Bellinger knows that he is going to be a free agent next year. Yeah. He wants to cash in at some point at you know his age 28 season next season. So... I think there's a lot of power in that, but what stood out to me from from all three of these guys, Tyone, Bellinger, and Swanson, is they all feel like they have untapped potential. Yeah. Which is crazy because they're three very established guys who have already been to All Star games and and you know high draft picks. Tyone was two, Dan's Swanson was one. Uh, obviously, Bellinger won the MVP, World Series winners. Like these guys all think that they can get better, and it's something that they all said they feel like untapped potential. That's what Tyone said. It's fascinating to see that. Everybody I can feel that, but the the Cubs got guys that actually feel that way. And they actually, they may be right. Like, Dansby Swanson, we've just kind of seen offensively the last two years what he can do. Yeah. If he can maybe even take that to a next level for a guy who's just 28, 29 right now, that's possible. Tyon, as I, he was the number two overall pick, a super highly rated prospect. He has pitched well, but not quite like that. So I do think there's some untapped potential. Yeah, and like he, he mentioned too, there's some things he wants to work on. He's they think he they can use his curveball a little bit better. They think he can redefine his, his uh, slider a little bit more. Dansby Swanson talked about cutting the the chase rate or the the, the swing in the zone rate, those little things like that. Da- uh, Cody Bellinger talked about improving his lower lower uh, body strength and and uh, creating a workout regimen that's more tailored to him, so that leads to success. Like you mentioned, yes, they they all think they have untapped potential, but anyone can say that. Everyone anyone right. can say, oh, I, I you know I think I can get better. But these guys have shown and have said, this is how I can get better and this is how I'm going to get work to get better. And I think that's a good sign for the Cubs and for Cubs fans that you can think, all right, they know they can get better, but they also know how they can get better. And that can be to the betterment of the Cubs. Yeah, and, and again, like Andy was saying, I mean, this is very glass half full right now right. because why not? Like yeah. we're, we're in December. We're not in the middle of the season. Like there's a lot of optimism and I think for good reason yeah. because there is the potential that is untapped. So. Yeah. We'll see how it plays out. Reality does not always yeah. jive with these optimistic views. But that being said, the Cubs have done very well to, to improve their roster. You, you look at just the way that they went 39 and 31. Like we talked about, it, it was something that Dansby Swanson even mentioned in his press conference. 39 and 31 in the second half of the season. Almost half of that time was without Wilson Contreras. Yep. He's the major loss they had. Yep. You know, then Wade Miley is gone. Uh, Fran Mil Reyes is one of the other guys that has left Rafael Ortega. Drew Smiley missed a lot of time with injury. 
True. Justin Steele was one of the better pitchers in baseball, and he missed a lot of the second half. Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks. But, like, so if you take Wilson, who, again, only played half of that time, and then Fran Reyes, Wade Miley, and Rafael Ortega, that's essentially all the Cubs have lost from that team. They've added Cody Bellinger. They've reportedly brought back Drew Smiley. They've added Jamison Tyon, Brad Boxberger in the bullpen, and, oh, yeah, Dansby Swanson. This team is much improved. Yeah. That being said, like we talked about too earlier, there are some holes to fill. Yeah. We expect the Cubs to be active for the rest of this offseason. Maybe not another move in 2022 here. So we definitely hope that anybody listening and watching on YouTube or our app has a great holiday season. Thank you so much for listening to us in 2022. We appreciated all the listeners and viewers. Uh, and we certainly hope to see you in 2023. So for Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks again for tuning in to the Cubs Weekly Podcast.